First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Eric. Yes. <laughs> I want to tell you about Denver Rubber Company. They're the I most, can't wait to hear it. They're the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, the year you were born, Denver Rubber Company has provided <laughs> the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. You were born in 72, right? I know that was a burn. It's really not that far <laughs> off, though. I was, bo- I was born in 78. <laughs> okay. All right. A little bit. What was the Big Thompson flood? It was 78, right? 78. Yeah, I don't I don't know what you're trying to say you, or you t- exactly. <laughs> you came, came in the year before. <laughs> um, you guys know snow is here, although is it? It's a good question. The, the, my read says snow is here, although it's been a little warm, a little toasty. Unseasonably warm. Uh, but it Denver, literally snowed yesterday. That is a good point. It did snow yesterday. <laughs> you know that my memory is like so incredibly short. Um, Denver now Rubber we Company. All, now we all do. It's one stop shop for anything Snowblades. Honestly, guys, Denver Rubber Company is a, a, a great company that really loves DNVR. So if you are in the market for any of the products that you know we've been pushing for you, give them a call because they're people just like you. 1 800 259 0010 or visit them, DRC first. Dot com dnvr that's first f-i-r-s-t dnc f-i-r-s-t dot com slash dnvr and tell them who sent you what is up everybody and welcome into the dnvr nuggets podcast i'm your host adam Matis from dnvr where you can subscribe for five dollars a month get access to all of our premium content today's show which is sponsored by illegal pete's one of the best. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for filling it, Eric. One of the absolute coolest, most Denver places on earth. Maybe the most Denver place on earth. Maybe the I was... the, the core, the center of Denver is Illegal Pete's <laughs> downtown. What do you think about that? I think it's irrefutable. I mean, who could argue <laughs> such a thing? I think it is irrefutable as well. But it honestly, we love our company because DNVR, because DNVR is Denver. Illegal Pete's also Denver, and we love them. Also, want to let you know that we have a watch party coming up. Eric, where are you going to be this Friday around 8.30 p.m.? Mm, probably at home in bed, uh, slippers on. Oh, you should uh, come pajamas. to the watch party. I'll come to the watch party. That's you know a- I'm going to be at that GD watch party. <laughs> about 8.30, about how how um, social will you be? <laughs> I will be, I will be as I'm known to do, I will come into this party hot. I will arrive hot. I will remain hot. Uh, it's going to be a great night. I will talk off anybody's ear who dares to get it within my vicinity. Uh, I will slap fives. I will give hugs. Um, 
I'm here for Ooh, you. Hugs. And Ooh, hugs. You're really selling them. People, per- their ears perked up. You know what's funny, man? Honestly, our, I, I love our watch parties. You know this, Eric, because you're like our brand guy. And we've talked about this many sleepless nights over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about what is it we're building here at DNVR. We are building a social club. And what is more, like, there's nothing more DNVR than our watch parties because it really is. We do the perch, right? We do the perch uh, at Nuggets Game at halftime. Everybody comes to those now like over and over again. It's not like, oh, some people show up. No, everybody, it's like we're our, our group of friends, like 30 deep now hanging out. This watch party is going to be our group of friends. I think we already have almost 100 RSVPs. we got two more days. This place is going to be packed. It's going to be a party, and I guarantee you're going to make friends at this event. So come on out. Come join us. Look for the tall, very devilishly handsome-looking guy. That's me. And say <laughs> hi. And if you see the absolutely wasted uh, yeah. guy, that very loud, that will be Eric. Yeah. Yeah, but again, be, be uh, beware because you don't. If you get your ear too close to me, I will talk it off. <laughs> you're a good talker, though. You know, you're always fun, which is why I had you on the show. The voice, of course, you're hearing Eric Weedham. I don't even have to introduce you. I don't think anymore. No, D Line Co. No, no. You're a known commodity. And today's episode of the show, we, Eric, we have slacked. I told everybody we were going to be answering questions every episode of the show, and that's mostly true. This was only a partial lie. We had a couple of tough, you know, some big shows last two days, so we weren't able to get to them. But tonight, we are going to get to all of the questions over the last few days that you guys have sent in. And there's some really good ones. So if you are a member, one of the many perks of being a member is you get us to answer all of the questions you submit. And so if you put, go onto the DNVR.com, you subscribe, and then you click on the podcast tab and leave us a comment, we will answer your question right on the show, which is what we're going to do tonight. But first, Eric, we have to have a little fun. We have to, like, you want to come in hot? It's coming hot, baby. I'm ready. The Utah Jazz tonight. Oh, so hot. <laughs> the Utah Jazz tonight dropped to the Boston Celtics. 114-103. Boston, very impressive. But this Jazz team, Eric, three weeks ago, it was like, all right, Nuggets. Actually, like, one week ago, it was like, all right, Nuggets and Jazz. It's going to be a fight to the finish. Let's see which team can uh, can duke it out. Well, since then, the Jazz have lost four straight games. They have not won since before the All-Star break. They've lost at home to San Antonio, at home to Houston, at home to Phoenix, and at home to Boston. It, and also, uh, I mean, I don't even know how it shook out, but I was reading that they were going to take Mike Conley out of the starting lineup, but then they ended up opting to take Joe Ingles out of the lineup entirely you or know, just out of the line, the starting lineup. Well, so here's what happened, Eric, and this is what is so funny, and, the, and it's actually the reason I'm bringing this up because, you know, we talk to Nuggets fans. Nuggets fans can drop one game on the road to Oklahoma City, and people are like, oh, I'm worried about the playoffs, guy. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Let me just give a calibration test because, yes, not only has Utah been on the struggle bus lately and dropped four games in a row at home. Imagine if the Nuggets dropped four games in a row at home. Oh, my God. At home? At home. Um, you would really and, – and that's like three weeks after losing to Denver when Denver only had seven guys. Um but in addition to that, it was announced today, it was reported by Sham Sharani, a reputable source, that the Utah Jazz were taking Mike Conley out of the starting lineup because the numbers with him have not been good. And then, about two hours later, it was reported that, well, they had a team meeting and have changed their decision. They are now leaving him in. To me, you know what we call this, Eric? That is a shit show. <laughs> is that what it's called? Can you imagine if the Denver Nuggets, like, you know, all right, we're going to take back in the day we had the Nurkic fiasco and it it was a fiasco. But you know what was nice about it? There was none of this happening. Like, it was just like Malone made a decision. The team moved forward and moving and and things were good. This is a 
what happened in that team meeting? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, really what this tells me is that all those who dare to stand in defiance of the Denver Nuggets are doomed for failure, whether it be the uh, trailblazers of Portland or the Ooh. jazz of Utah. Like uh, if you decide that you're going to try to stand in the way of the destiny that is the Denver Nuggets, you're just doomed <laughs> to fail. Like not the, the um, trailblazers, we thought that they peaked, but is it even called a peak if on the other side of the peak is just a straight cliff? Yeah, it's really down. more of a cliff, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a cliff. It's like the Matterhorn. It's just you go up and then it's you just drop no, it's right like, off. No, it's like Half Dome. In, oh, Half Dome. Uh, there you go. Yeah, you climb up and it's like, well, where do we go from here? That's right. You need to, uh, ah. So – I'm, uh, you know, listen, in the off season when Utah signed Mike Conley, I was like, oh man. And we were all, you know, doing what we do as Nuggets fans, where we try to find terror and uh, dismay and everything that happens. So we didn't sign anybody of note. It seemed like, even though we signed Jeremy Grant, it was an amazing addition, but like all of this, like uh, off season free agency was happening. They signed Mike Conley. And I was like, man, that's it. That was the piece they were missing. Like, what? <laughs> you know, like they moved off Rubio. They got, got Mike Conley and Rubio. this could, yeah. it's just couldn't, it just couldn't be sweeter. I mean, I, you know, I'm not ready to dance on their grave. Oh, I sure, mean, sure. I, well, I, I should rephrase. It. I'm very ready to dance <laughs> on their grave, but I just don't know if it's, it's uh, wise to do at this moment in time, but how beautiful just how, I, for what you're saying, the recalibration, how beautiful it is it is a thing of beauty you know what the nuggets are and really this is a lesson in sports coverage the nuggets are the tortoise they really are they've had this plan under uh, over the last three four years it really has just been a plan and it's like you know what we have to have the longest vision and there's so many people along the way that have been like oh they're not good because of this how come they didn't go all in they should have gotten jimmy butler Uh, you think Jamal Murray's good? You should have gotten Kyrie Irving. Like, like think about all the things people have said, and and they have been applauded like along the way. Like anytime, and this is one of my things about how sports are covered and how fans interact with how fans are covered. It's like people think they're telling it like it is when right. your team didn't win a championship, and they like throw it in your face of like, yeah, well they didn't win, so you're not doing something right. And it's like, guys. <laughs> If you're Denver and you ever want to win a championship, it's going to be a 20-step process Yeah, that you have to and you nail every step. And you cannot skip steps, as it's been said. Like that, everybody wanted the Nuggets to skip steps. They really did. Like they wanted people to, they wanted them, like you're saying, to cash in all of their chips early and uh, go get that traditional superstar and bring them in. That was like the the one thing that we were missing. But um, I mean, how satisfying! I know that you guys think that I'm just like a Nuggets apologist because I've said as much, and I probably am. But <laughs> but I'm like I'm not like when it comes to sports, I'm absolutely not. Like I'm right, not like right. a, a I, I at the beginning of each season. I sort of reset and I allow the season to unfold before me before I like really draw any conclusions. So like for the, for example, the Rockies um, who just feel like it, we, it's time to completely write them off. Like I've already turned the page. Like I'm ready to give them a chance and until they Ooh. prove me otherwise. I like, like that. I, you know what? That's what, that's what sports are. You're not like an idiot. You know, yeah, you're totally. just like opening totally. up your heart to being let down, but it's like, what yeah, are you going like, to do? Stew all year and like not enjoy any seconds of Rocky totally. season. Yeah, but so, so like, but like until they suck, like once they yeah. suck, like I, I, I will go in on them. And I, right. I used to go in on the Nuggets all the time, but like I just believe so strongly in what I have seen. Like I have seen the depths of this team and I've seen us like slowly climb out of this, of the mud hole that uh, Brian Shaw left. And I've only seen an improvement every year, year in, year out. And so I just don't know how 
anybody could be anything but a believer in what they're being shown and what the nuggets are giving us. It's like, I don't know. Well, can I tell like, you what this modern day, what, what today's version is? Because there was, you know, three years ago it was, well, Jokic isn't a real superstar. Right, of course. You know, Jamal Murray will never be worth the kind of, you know what, you know what um, the new one is that I just love? Oh, it's, God. this is the one year that you can get this. Because next year, right, next year, Eric, next year, <laughs> every team is going to be the Lakers. And right, the Lakers right. are going to be like the double Lakers. So right. this right, is the right. one year you have you have two months. <laughs> and if you don't get it right, then the sky falls. And it's like, look, man, I do think, you know, the Warriors come back. Um, the Clippers might get better. Lakers might get better. I don't know. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Things get better. But I know that Michael Porter Jr. is playing like eight minutes per game right now. I think he's going to play more at some yes. point, and I think he'll probably be better. I know yes. Jokic is 25 years old, just turned 25, and he's playing the best basketball of his career. I think it would be crazy to think that there's not a better version of him down the line. Same Which is actually kind of crazy just to even say out loud, because how much better can a basketball well, player be than Nikola Jokic currently is? It It is funny, but you know what it is? It is, it is incremental, so I think like – one of the things is we're like, just imagine him, but like a dunk. No, that's not going to happen. But what it is, is, you know, what if he's a 37% three-point shooter? What if he's a little bit better in the post? What if he's a little bit quick? And it's just marginal, and it all adds up to this, like, he's already unstoppable. But what if yeah. it's like he's even just more, it's even easier for him to be unstoppable? <laughs> Well, you know what it is with Jokic? It's it's him um, maturing. Oh, like it's him oh yes. Shedding uh, like all of those like weird, you know, like being preoccupied with the refs and committing silly fouls. He's and, already, you're right. He's already moving on because we haven't seen that Jokic very huh? much this year. Nope. Yeah, the petulant Jokic. He is comes like, out. He comes out. Yeah, absolutely. But not, <laughs> not like two, if you guys go back two years ago and it was like every third game Jokic was like screaming at an official at an inbound or something and like now it's it's a more of a rarity and he's getting scratched the f up um same goes for jamal murray i think with Jokic, another thing is the just his leadership has grown i think more than i anticipated it ever would and i don't know if it'll get that much better than this although it could but if we're well well i mean i could i'm just saying i'm not give, that's not a thing i'm gonna give him like oh yeah two more years from now he'll be two years more mature like i don't know some guys do some guys don't but the step for him that i think would really make the biggest difference is just like the confidence and, and the acceptance that he has to talk like he yeah. and I think he does a little bit of this, but I think even more just of like, hey, coach, no, we're doing this today. <laughs> we're doing playing this way. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we've seen that come out. We've seen him be like very animated in the um, in the huddles and we've seen him like really uh you know, act in a way that was seemingly uncharacteristic, but all of that just comes with, and you know, not, as you mentioned, I was born in, uh, what, 1962. Right. So I've been, it, yeah. I've, <laughs> so I've been around for a while and I've seen that in myself where, you know, with confidence comes, um, the ability to just to speak and be heard and know that what you're saying, uh, is worth listening to. That's and, great stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's, uh, that's a product of wisdom and wisdom comes with experience and experience comes with age and t- you know, it's just, a, a, you're, you're a, right. Cause I think when Jokic looks at a player like Michael Porter or, um, you know, like even Malik Beasley and Wancho, like, I think he's like, yeah, I know more than you guys. I've been more experienced, but maybe exactly. he doesn't feel that way with Millsap and Plumlee. But as exactly. time goes on, he is going to realize, like, yo, I'm like Einstein over here, right? <laughs> Even of my peers, I know more than them. So, and and they yes. want me to say this. Yeah. So I, that I, I believe 
I don't think there's any way just seeing what we've been seeing, like that, that doesn't come to pass, you know, especially as you, you bring in as when he becomes the older statesman on the team, as you're saying, like then younger kids come in, like, of course he's not going to listen to them. Right. And they're going to be listening to him. And it's just like, a you know, there's, there are players he came into the league with around the same time. And it's difficult, um, in every job to have, you know, one, uh, person rise and another sort of stay in a position uh, and then somebody all of a sudden is your boss and that's like kind of weird and it's, that's just all, all part of having a young career um right, it's just yeah. th- their career happens to be the thing that we like focus on all the time it's just that, that that's the dynamics of uh relationships and so um all these guys have been coming up together and there's just like a natural stratification that happens it just it, it just takes time and um you know it has to work itself out and you know coaches can't force that kind of stuff. I mean, you know what it's like to be on a team and suddenly, you know, you're, you're forced to look at somebody differently. It's like, it takes a while for that to really take hold and be true. I think that's the number one thing that's like really impressive about these people is it really is like an office and just picture everybody listening to this picture, your own office. Yeah. By Matt, looking, literally looking around. By literally looking like people in their cubicles or whatever right now looking around like, Oh yeah. Like Gary in accounting, like, God, I hate that dude. You know, like, whatever. <laughs> like just think about how many guys. And so it's the same on the team. I think the guys, there's more of a camaraderie when you're playing sports than there are when you're just in an office. Like it's just, there's something about that. So it's maybe a little, you know, less office politics or whatever, but it's still the same in that like play people do things that really annoy you. And these guys have to somehow overcome that to like be on the same page. And it's really hard. It's yeah. really freaking hard. And when you look at the Nuggets and you look at that this team has been together with the same core for several years and they don't hate each other, that's something special, man. It's true. It's absolutely true. I hate uh, most people that I've ever worked with. Uh, <laughs> I, no. In particular at this company. <laughs> <laughs> just in general, life in general. I just can't get along with anybody, as you know. Yeah, you are. You're, 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 you're not a you're – a, you're a, is it a philanthrope? A misanthrope would be somebody misanthrope. that hates everyone. You're not a misanthrope though. You, you, uh, you love think, everyone. You think I'm philanthropic that I, that I look for to add good? Uh, that's a half I don't know that you look to add good. <laughs> But I just think you appreciate good. <laughs> oh, I'm just an optimist, is what you're saying. Yeah, you just, uh, yeah, you just like people. Um, you know, another thing that you like that I know that you like. Oh, baby, the Colorado core. Oh, baby, do I? <laughs> do you? How many Colorado cores might you be having tomorrow? What would give me the Colorado, the Eric Colorado core scale? So you've had one Colorado core. Yes. How <laughs> how are you feeling? So, oh, uh, like I, like I, I mean, I feel, have a delightful apple-y aftertaste on my tongue, but I just, okay. I'm, I don't feel any different. Okay, you've had but three Colorado cores. Now we're starting to talk. Now we're starting <laughs> to talk. Now, Are you telling jokes yet? Oh, I've been telling jokes since uh, before Colorado core number one. <laughs> but but now they're starting to land. At least but with I, you. Oh, I'm land. All of my jokes are landing. But, but fives are being slapped. Backs okay. are being slapped. Um, Nine Colorado cores. Nine Colorado cores. Wow. Uh, I think I'm going into kidney failure. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nine? Really? Nine? Well, oh, this isn't like back to back to back. This is over the course of, you know, however long it would take you to drink nine. Well, I told Adam earlier, like, that I, you know, of late, I would say more so this season than any other. I've, I've really rebranded as a dirtbag. I've, I've really taken on this, <laughs> this idea of being like a like a, a lush and a drunk, which is like partially true. I don't ever drink on my own. Uh. Uh, but... I do like to drink when I'm being social, and we we have we made all these parties where it's we're being social. So, um, 
I'm a dirt bag now, and so, <laughs> so maybe I could drink. You're gonna nine. scare people that don't understand your humor. <laughs> like, I don't want to meet a dirt bag. I don't want to talk to this guy. Eric is a, is the salt of the earth. He's, he's yeah, a, yeah. I'm a, I'm a you know salt. You're, you know you're, <laughs> you know my favorite quality about you, Eric. <laughs> this is gonna, you're gonna be like this. That's the favorite one, but this really is like a, an underrated quality. Is you like other people's jokes. They don't I, even have to be that great. Yeah. I like to laugh. Listen, I like to, even when jokes aren't that funny, I'll laugh. Um, because then maybe that uh, loosens up the other person. Then we get a little rapport going. Oh, totally. It's funny. I'm all about it. Like, I love laughing. You don't even need nine Colorado cores <laughs> to do it. We'll put that to the test. Listen, I'll, I'll think, I'll, we'll find out exactly what happens with nine Colorado cores. <laughs> Let's find it out. I uh, also want to tell you guys about Strava Craft Coffee. It's kind of like the maybe the opposite of a Colorado Core in a lot of ways. It 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 uh, it wakes you up. It does wake you up. It tastes delicious. It's got CBD. It's healthy for you. it. It 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 reinvigorates your life. It it you helps know, your joints. It helps. You know your- what I think CBD does? I think CBD ultimately like reduces inflammation. Yeah, that's why I give so- it to my dog. Yeah, like, so all of the, like, you hear people talk about the benefits of CBD, and they, they give these, like, laundry list of things that make it sound like it's snake oil. It, like it right, just does yeah. Things. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. It's but, like Tylenol like, or ibuprofen. Yeah, but, like, all of the, if you really look at it, like, most of the ailments that they're talking about, like, come from some form of inflammation in your body. And so, um, and you know, that's... And people should trust you because you, you actually do have a medical license. Right. <laughs> well, I, yes, I do. <laughs> I, oftentimes, know what I'm talking about. Anytime that I float out a theory that is based in science, Adam calls me on it one thousand percent of the time. Not that he's not wrong, but I think that really there's something to this. Like, I think it's all about inflammation. <laughs> uh, Strawbercraft coffee is absolutely delicious, though. Purchase it online. Twenty percent off using DNVR twenty as your code. That's DNVR twenty. Um. All right, we're gonna get into some questions here, Eric. Are you ready? Do it. The people have questions. It's your turn for answers. Sam asks, hey, guys, going into another national TV game. That's right. This game on Friday. It's ESPN. Uh-huh. Oh, so God. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Just cancel the watch party. We're done. No, no uh, doubt. Question on how much the media can realistically watch each team. Doris, the legend, last week sounded like she had watched every game Others clearly don't put in the work. Can you talk about what national people are able to do for coverage? Comparing the TV guys to even Zach Lowe or the guys like Duncan and LaRue, how much do they watch and how much of their analysis is statistical only? I like this question. I guess it's more of a question for me, isn't it, Eric? I don't think you have like anything I'd, to provide. I, said, I would say this is 1,000% an Adam question. Other well, than I, I will say, though, I will say – I know that Doris, because you've told me, so I'm answering this with your words, Great. Um, listens to local podcasts before she does a lot of the uh, uh, broadcasts. Well, can I tell you something crazy? There's Because there's the – I don't know if Doris is doing the game on, on Friday or not, but there is a very good chance she's listening to this show. And hey, she's Doris. Probably, she's probably like, what the heck was that conversation? <laughs> 20 minutes, I haven't gotten a single detail that's worthwhile. <laughs> Very disappointed, uh, Doris is um, in, in this one. No, but Doris, I, I agree. She is. Uh, she there was a profile on her not long ago about how much work she puts in, and and some of the angle was because you know sports is a very um, there's a lot of men in sports. There's a lot of white men in sports, and it's very hard uh, for people that don't fit that to get into it. And Doris talked to, uh, talking about how hard she worked and 
when she prepares for games, she puts so much effort into, including listening to podcasts, as many podcasts as she can, reading as many articles as she can, and obviously watching games, talking to people. She's very well connected and talks to people. So I would say that she gets, and not just her, but but people that put in the work, the people that actually take their job seriously and want to be great at it, not great as in famous, but great as in like know what they're talking about. They talk to a lot of people and they get a lot, but we, you and I know this, Eric. We watch the Nuggets 82 games a year plus playoffs. We follow this team every single day and we think about them when we're in the car and we like, you know, we're talking to people too nonstop. So, of course, the reservoir of information that somebody that is on the beat is going to be greater than somebody that is only doing a little bit. But there are people who put in so much work to close that gap and to make up, and Doris is certainly one of them. Uh, I used to write for Vice you know, vice sports. And I covered the whole league and I did the same thing. It was actually one of the most nervous writing experiences in my life because I just knew that this article, if I was writing about say the Detroit Pistons, I knew that I could do all this research and watch all this film. And if I screwed up one obvious detail, the fan, whoever was reading it, that knows that detail would be like, you don't know anything about it. So for example, if somebody said PJ Dozier, is been with the Nuggets now for two seasons. Somebody would be like, no, he hasn't. He's two-way car. You know, and they'd be like, you don't know anything. And it could be just an honest mistake that you screwed up the detail on. So uh, it's a tell. But it's a tell. Oh, this is a phone. Well, so, but so who, who do you like? Who, who do you feel uh, is on that Doris level? Ooh, I love this. This is a great question. Well, obviously, Dor- so when you talk about television, you know, broadcast, I think to me, Doris is on her own level. Like she just puts in so much work. I love the way she talks about the game. She talks about it in a way that I find interesting because she clearly values the basketball. And I think that's part of, that's part of it is some of these guys don't love the basketball portion of the basketball game as much as maybe some of the other parts. And I think she just loves the game. Um, you know, Hubie Brown, he's a guy that maybe what, what I think one thing about Hubie is he maybe doesn't know all of the details of what's been happening with the team over the last 10 or, you know, whatever, but he talks about what he knows and what he knows is basketball. Absolutely. It, it, Although he's, he's lost his, uh, a little bit off of his fastball. Lost a little bit. You want to you know one that I'm always impressed with? One, one, a person who I really enjoy, Jalen Rose. I was just going to say, Jalen Rose is fantastic. Jalen Rose is one of my favorite just like people that talks about the league because it's not just that he sort of like, you know, he speaks about what he knows and doesn't generalize too much about that. I mean, you have to a little bit, but he doesn't he doesn't do too much about that. But I also just think he's a perceptive human like he and when I say perceptive, I, I mean, like he gets what's going on. All the different layers about a player or a team or a person. It's not just like, oh, this team doesn't have a closer or whatever. It's like he sees all the different little dynamics that are playing out. And um, and, and I just find him really, really fascinating. But if we go from writers, I mean, Zach Lowe, one of the greatest American sports writers out there. Chris Herring, um, 538, a guy that just puts an enormous amount of love and passion into his work. Very connected. And I just love the way he talks about it. Um, Rob Mahoney. uh you know, Matt Moore, you know, my buddy and obviously who co-hosts Locked on Nuggets with me, Matt Moore is a funny one because he uh, I have watched him do. He has like MVP votes and he'll do an MVP ranking. That guy puts more effort into who he's going to vote for MVP than most people put into anything. You yeah. might disagree with his takes and I disagree with him a lot. Like Me and him don't align our perspectives on the NBA, you know, as often as, as some people. But I always know that his takes come from a place where he put an enormous amount of work into him. Oh, that without question. I mean, he knows, like he, he, that guy knows everything. It, but I, it's true. That, that's the difference, though, between 
a scholar and um, somebody who just inherently understands the game and understands like <clears throat> larger patterns and can sort of see things from a higher point of view, which is like what you're saying about Jalen and, and probably Hubie Brown. <laughs> right. Um, but there, there is something to the idea that, um, you know, some people, people just, th- th- that's what is so beautiful about this game and sports in general is just so, so many different ways to appreciate and evaluate it. And, um, but I think all those guys that you mentioned, I mean, everybody puts the work in. It's just whether or not they're watching the games. Like watching the games is one thing, you know. Uh, I that, think that that is it. Dunning Kruger. That's the Dunning Kruger effect. Yes. Like the, the more, the less you know, the more you you think you know. Is that, think is you that know. Everybody? Yes. Yes. And I think I think one of in almost every walk of life, but this is especially true of the media. Knowing how little you know and being like com- com- comfortable with that is one of the best things. Like I think every great writer has a quality that they're like, I don't know very much about this. And I, I'll be, I'll, you know, you know, you know me, I, I feel very confident in how I see the game. I think my number one, people always ask me, do you have to play the game to, to be able to analyze? And I always say no, but the number one thing I think that it helps you is it helps you understand what you don't know. So you know what to look for and what to learn and what, you know, what, what kind of questions to ask. Yeah. And, and so for me, it's not like, people will always sometimes ask me like right after a game, what happened in this game? What did you see of this? And I'm always like, I have some takes, you know, I have some things I like to go back and watch the film because I can watch it very critically and study and see what, what things like figure out what questions to ask. Not like, yeah. Oh, I watched it. And now I know, cause I know things. Right. Well, and there's also like a, a forensic uh, quality to rewatching the game. Oh, like, totally. You're able to sort of understand the larger storyline, like what took place. And then you can sort of look back and figure out like why took place, you know? Oh, totally. Totally. That's a good question. Thanks, Sam. We're only one question in. D17 Falcon asks, what's up, squad? I guess that's me and you. We're the squad yeah, today. Whoa, the duo. Whoa, whoa. A couple of questions as it regards to MPJ on court. The backside help defense has been rough for him. Obviously, but I get the sense that it's because he is avoiding hard contact. What does he need to do to shore up his defense and as a result become a staple in the rotation? Well, this is the first half of his question, the Omkart part. The first thing I would say is I don't know that I agree with that assessment, actually, that it's because he's avoiding hard contact. MPJ, one of the things about him is coming off of missing two years and leveling up, playing like playing against the most the greatest athletes in the world, the guy actually kind of attacks people. Like he yeah. actually he actually is almost maybe goes too hard at contact sometimes, I think, especially on the offensive end. Um, yeah. And there's something too about that like if we're talking about the previous two games after the All-Star break and oh, then yes, yes. the time right before the All-Star break, like there was a big lapse in time between yes. when MPJ was playing well and when he started playing well again, which was just last night. So um I, you know, like he just was tentative. He wasn't playing hard, Blown wasn't giving him minutes. It's like really hard to um remember like he was i mean he was he shut down Giannis at times like he was <laughs> he was not being uh you know he wasn't avoiding contact at all it's just since he's come back he's been a little tentative but i think we saw him break through that last night i definitely think we saw him break through it but i i would say with regards to the defense he for whatever reason and it's probably because he missed two years hasn't really played since high school he really does see the game on the defensive end very slowly. I mean, like mm-hmm. really slowly. Even Malik Beasley was maybe the player that, like, as a rookie, saw it the slowest prior to Michael Porter. I think Michael Porter even slower. No, Just... it was it was Moutier. That was the slowest. <laughs> there was a lot of different things going on with Moutier, but I just mean like you. Sometimes you see the wheels turning in Michael's head on the defense on the backside, where it's like 
you see him realize two seconds too late that it's like, oh, that's right. That's what I was yeah. supposed to do. And to me, that's what it is. You have to remember. Here's one thing I'll say, Eric. You sit close and you've sat. Have you sat courtside before? Yeah, I have. So you know when Thanks you're that for, uh, close. Pointing out for me, I appreciate that. How, how, you know how fast they are when you're sitting that close and you get to see them, as opposed to like on um, you know the bird's eye view that the camera is. You know what the other crazy thing? Not only that, like being uh, on the same plane as everyone, you're like, oh, you don't just see the space in between people. You just oh, see right. a, a yeah. big guy that's standing over here and another big guy. And you just have to realize there's space in between it. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Dude, I don't know. I I don't. I think that um, I think MPJ is going to be dominant, in a, a dominant two way player. Like he's got so yeah. many tools um, that are are given to him. Like just his length and his ability to. I mean, the the fact that he is so good on the offensive rebound side of the ball tells me that um, anything he wants to do, where he just needs to, like where he, it it comes to challenging the ball and getting up highest and being strongest is in him. Yeah. He just right now he's focused on scoring, so that's like where his focus is. I don't even but, think he's focused on scoring, man. I really don't. I think, he you think is, he's focused on not screwing up. Yeah. I mean I I mean that sincerely cuz there's I, times I when you when you can tell he's just like screw it, I'm trying to score and I I think he's actually better that way. I don't think you want to like push that button too much cuz he does need to learn these other parts. But um, I, I think when he's out, there's so many times when it's like he'll get the ball on the wing and everyone will kind of be like, OK, let's see what he does. And he just like passes away because he's like, I don't am I yeah. Is that me. Was I supposed to do something here? Yeah, I, I just feel like uh, everybody's just so like the, the hand wringing about MPJ, I feel like is 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 overwrought. Like I, I just see him. You know, like he moved up slowly. He got to a place where he was really comfortable. He was playing really well. Then he got hurt and he just sort of had to, it got, it was a setback and he start, started over a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think it's going to, it's going to come. It's like all coming. It, it's going to come in time. Like the confidence is going to build the playmaking. We're starting to see come more and more. Like I, I, I that's the thing I, that I fear the least on this team is MPJ's development. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I do think that, that he might be a little bit slow to learn certain lessons, but he's just so talented. Yeah. I think five games. So the Nuggets have at the Clippers on Friday, watch party, Blake Street Tavern, 830. <laughs> and then they have a home game against Toronto, and then they play at something like Charlotte, Cleveland, Golden State. I think by the end of those three games, MPJ will be back to what people are thinking, 20 to 25 minutes every night, and you know, on many nights a significant piece of it. But I think it's going to take that long. Uh, and it might take longer, but I, I hope not because I do think Denver needs to get going. But um, we've already seen it sort of start to break out. Hopefully it continues to do so. The second part of, of David's question here, off court, he made an Instagram post on February 11th that just said lone wolf as he was walking in for a game. Watching him on TV, it seems like he is kind of a lone wolf on this team, i.e. after timeouts, walks straight to the bench, doesn't really talk to anyone. Being in the locker room, do you get the sense he is isolated from the rest of the team? Do we see that as a potential issue in the short term this season or the long term next contract? Have you noticed this at all? Um, not particularly, but I do know like the the last player on this team that really fit fit that um, profile was Wilson Chandler, and <laughs> um, 
I mean, he would he'd post things like type like, oh, type right. type loner like and he yeah, would be like, yeah, yeah. all of his things were sort of like how he was you know by himself and listening to music and processing things and Gary whatever. Gary wears a lot of clothes that say like antisocial yeah, yeah like well no it, oh antisocial social club that's just a that's a brand that's a, a pop, that brand's popping at him come on give me a break oh of course um, well yeah yeah I mean I meant, I meant that. <laughs> but I don't think that it matters is my my point like I I think that. I, but I have no idea. I mean, I, you you see him in the locker room. I've not seen anything that would suggest to me that he's he is that, is that way. I wanted to get you to give I, the reason I asked you first is because I wanted to kind of just you know get another baseline for this before I give what is the right answer to no which is, <laughs> before I, before I give before I answer his question and that is maybe the number one thing I have learned from getting to look behind the curtain for five and a half years now is that so much of these observations, while they make logical sense, they're connecting dots that just aren't there. And right. I'm not saying that in this instance the, the, these dots don't connect or whatever. I'm just saying that I could see why you might think that given the evidence that you have, but the, I don't see that. And I and I think there's just – these guys are so much more um, – either not, – not necessarily complex, but like we see – 0.01% of their lives, <laughs> you know, like yep. imagine if somebody got like a camera into you every three days for like 10 minutes and they were right. just like, Oh, I get it. I get Eric. I understand him. <laughs> like, I just know him, man. I see what's going on. Yeah. And that's kind of how we are with this guy. So what I would say with Michael Porter, I think he, um, I think he's not, not a loner, but I think he like, He's very close to his family. He has a, he has a huge family, yeah. and I think those are all his best friends, like genuinely best friends. And people, in my experience, that tend to have those like super tight knit families don't always they're not always the most social people because they've always had their like safety net of well, I got my friends, so what do I need to go outside? I got my family, so what do I need to go outside that? And then the other part of this is he is the new kid, like he's yeah. just new. And as much as this is a young team, and I think he gets along and he has some real friends on the team, like. Even Jokic is 25 now and has just – think about all the life experience Jokic has had moving away from his family and doing all this different stuff. And now you've got a kid in Michael Porter that's like very much going through all this stuff for the first time. So um, to me, I think it's mo almost all to do with that. I think Michael Porter, one of my pleasant surprises of watching him this season and getting to know him a little bit this season is that I think he tries is tries and wants so badly to be – the player he knows he needs to be and the person he needs to be like he I think he actually understands that there's these like personality like lessons he has to learn yeah no he definitely seems like very um aware of who he is of who he should be of other people's perceptions of him but I, I brought up Wilson Chandler because like it didn't matter you know what I mean? He was like a super loner, but like, it didn't matter. Like Wilson Chandler was great. Yeah. And he, and he was a great team player. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't see it. These guys all want to project the like cool, like just sociably cool guy. Like, I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And they're actually, none of them are like, <laughs> it's just like they have people happen to worship them and idolize them. So they get to like pretend it, but like some of them are dorks, you know, some oh, of them, totally. you know, yeah, they, know. they all have different, some of them are like super unaware, like they have no self-awareness. Some of them are like hyper self-aware. Like, like, you mean like Kyle Kuzma? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Like they, they, they've, uh, they've become very popular, but not based on their personalities. And now that they are, now they have the opportunity to like really show their personalities. They're not always in, uh, in alignment with, um, 
the idol status that they've been given. The, the best is Kenneth Free. He was my favorite example of this because he was really like Derek Zoolander. I always say that. Like he, <laughs> he, he, he was cool and everybody thought he was cool. Like his image was that he was cool. But like I think he was the dorkiest, nerdiest, weirdest dude. Like and he just got to be this cocky guy. And I was always like. Dude, if you weren't a professional athlete, you would be like the most insufferable person on earth. <laughs> Talking about yourself in the third person. and Yeah, well, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Let's take another one here before we do a break. Eric White. Thank you, David K. He says he's holding it down, by the way, for Nuggets fans in Austin, Texas. Well, Austin oh, T. Oh, what uh, up? We actually we need an Austin watch party. Austin, we, we have like a bunch of – I think chilled – Child Usi, as I call him, is uh, is down in Austin as well. So there's a lot uh, of Austiners. Have you been to Austin, dude? Austin. So I've the cities I've been to most in my life outside of Denver, in order: Los Angeles because I lived there for a while. Yep. Las Vegas because every basketball tournament from the yep. time you're like ten till you're even now there's still basketball tournaments out there is in Vegas. Uh, summer leagues there, and then Austin, Texas because I have a lot of friends in Austin, and so I've, I've probably been there twelve times. Uh, Austin's great. Uh, that part of the country, that river country part of Texas is great. Um, don't like how, uh, there is a big body of water called Lake Austin, but it actually is a river. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that really bugs you, huh? <laughs> really bothers me. Yeah. Um, and then there is one main thorough throwaway. St. Mary's glacier is not really a glacier. How's that? Does that really get under your skin? Yeah. I don't care for that either. Like, let's, <laughs> like, let's be accurate. Uh, and then the other thing is, that, what, what is it called? Like Mopah, like the biggest like highway. They, everybody has a nickname for it, but it's not the actual name of the highway. So if you're, you know what I'm talking about? It's like no. named after the railroad, like Mo. We've had very different experiences in Austin. <laughs> I, yeah, never, at no point I, I was, was I looking at a map. <laughs> I was confused and angry, and you were probably just drunk. <laughs> I was having a great time eating some barbecue. It was very good. With your uh, friends. Yeah, <laughs> just enjoying life. Uh, <laughs> Eric Weiss asks, you guys have mentioned the value that Denver has earned through finding diamonds in the rough. Rank a few of the players in terms of production divided by salary, either production slash salary or prov- production divided by salary. I don't think he's giving us an equation. I think it's production slash salary. Like, who are you getting the most out that you're paying the least? Well, he says, my opinion, value guys. And I don't, I don't know if this is in order or what. Monte Morris, Tory Craig, Jokic, because he's a beast. And then he says, high cost, lower value guys, Mason Plumlee, Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap. And then he says, this is what... Conley brings to the table, in my opinion. Most of the team is still net positive. Prove me wrong. I don't know what I'm proving here, so I'm having a hard time proving you wrong or right. Um, but just, he, he's saying like this: his what Conley brings to the table is the ability to find these diamonds in the rough and get high value out of low cost, which is you can't possibly prove, prove that wrong. That's exactly what Tim Conley is good at. And like, that's why the Nuggets are who they are. And that's why the Nuggets are where they are. Uh, unfortunately, we just got rid of two like super valuable low cost pieces in right. Malik, Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez. But um, I don't know. It's, it, I, it, I, that's brutal to put Jamal on the the low value just because he makes money. <laughs> well, I think because he makes so much money and like he's he's not a max player yet, and we'll see. And no, as, he's he's knocking on that door though. He's like right below that. He's been playing really good over this last stretch of basketball. So like good. really good. Um, you, it, it, here's what I and, and as Ryan Blackburn over at Denver Stiffs tells me, and he he had Ryan had a very passionate defense of Jamal Murray yesterday in the media room, which I thought was funny because nobody was like attacking Murray, but he was saying he's not a max player yet. 
he signed it for next year. So by that logic, not right. until next year does he need to be a max player, which I think is actually fair. But here's what I would say. Um, I think that the question is actually incorrect. Like it, it's actually nonsensical in this one way. Nobody on earth is like, or, or I shouldn't say nobody, very few people on earth get paid what they are worth. They get paid a confluence of circumstances. And like Monte Morris, yes, a cheap deal because of what Denver needed. Paul Millsap's the best example of this. He's getting paid $30 million this year. It's not because that's what he is worth to the team, although he's, he's worth quite a bit, but it's because that's what Denver had to offer him and what it took to get him to be here. And they needed they needed him to be worth $20 million. They just had to pay $30 million for it. So it's like, hey, but if you didn't have him, you couldn't have possibly spent $20 million to, to match what, what he would have been worth. So um, so some of this, I think, is is not fair because you can go down every team's roster and go, why does that guy make so much? Why does this guy make so little or whatever? And there's a bunch of factors involved in it. Yeah, I. it really bothers me when people, um, again, like – not to just be the Nuggets apologist, which again I am, obviously, but um, I just I don't understand when people like have criticisms of the way that the Nuggets team has been built or the amount of money that certain players are making. It's like you're saying, like that's what it took to get the deal done. Like when people were mad about how much we gave Barton, it was like, well, he was being offered more from Indiana, so we wanted to keep him, so that's what it costs. Like there's no the concept of there being like absolute value for players. Exactly. Yep. It's, exactly. It's so it's it's just like so wrought with uh, fallacy. It's just like not there. It's like what is their value to your team? What is the value at this exact moment in time where you know what what is their value on the open market? Um, and so it it is straight. Like it is to that end, saying you know like valuing the players on what where we got them and how much they're being paid is like it is it's a little strange. It's like what what is their what do they bring to the team? Uh, is the most important question, right? And it's not like they're necessarily losing a, like a players because they can't afford this or that. I mean, Beasley is the one guy you could say, but Beasley, there's more to the story there. I mean, Beasley clearly wanted a bigger role. So right. Denver might have been able to pay him the money he wanted, but they couldn't have given him the role he wanted. And there's and same goes for Nurkic. Like they ended up having yep. to pay to get rid yep. of him. But some of the stuff, I think, I think, I don't think you should ever break things down in this way, the way that he, that you categorize them in this question. I think really you just have to look at the team and say, okay, they were in the dirt. They were four feet underground, and now they have like so – The best record they've ever had. Their best record they've ever had, and so many good players that they literally got two, rid of two that weren't even in the rotation, and they're starting for another team and have boosted that team. Like they, are, yeah. they, they have done such a good job building the roster that they have to sell players that are – saving other franchises (laughs) this is the this is the one bummer man this is like what we talked about like that 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 part of your front office where you want them to win the phones um and i don't think the denver i mean i i think this is like another season where we see that that's really just not a strength of this front office here's the thing that i think when you're talking about beasley and not winning the phones or whatever here's the thing and first of all i agree with you i like the step back i kind of agree with you but here's the one thing I think people kind of forget about this whole equation. The if if Gary Harris was good this year, you probably just move Gary Harris and keep Beasley. And I think that's what the front office thought was, okay, we had Gary Harris. He's not going to be shooting 30% this year. He's going to be shooting like 36, 37. He's going to be a great defender and we can move him or we can keep, move Beasley, but we we're fine. And Gary just being really bad, I think, changed that whole equation for them. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I mean, 
who knows? It is the thing like where you draft so well, um, and they do, they draft so well that you just have this constant backlog of players, like you're saying, and then you have to sort of like figure out what to do with them. It's just, that's the bummer thing is that this front office has the ability to create value out of nothing. And then they have all of these raw pieces. And like, that's where I just get a little, a little nervous is like outside of developing who it is that they brought on. And just hopefully they do have the right mix of players, which they may, they may already have the right mix of players to get it done. But, you know, traditionally you, you start to build uh, a strong team and then you bring in that hammer, like that last piece to like really get the job done and that that's my one fear with this this team in this front office is that they won't be able to get that last piece that they need to like really get over the hump but you know they need to like fleece a team this summer is really what it needs <laughs> and, i know and maybe and been... yeah and maybe it's just that like beasley and Wancho, like we're rooting for them to play well and they have been but i wonder if there's like it would be easier if like they went there and were terrible and it was like ha ha <laughs> it's true. It would totally feel better. But the thing is, it's like we got like for all, you know, for taking a chance on Beasley, drafting him. He was injured, getting him late. Like he was yeah. a steal and getting Wancho. Um, we ultimately got nothing out of that. You know, like they just. Well, we'll see. They did get that first round pick. And I got, look, I'm, I'm with you. If I were a betting man, I would say that would not turn out well for Denver. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it does turn out to be the piece that gets you Bradley Beal without giving up Murray or something. I mean, who knows? Yeah. You know, yeah. I suppose well, that's true. We'll find out. We never know. If there will be a solution, but we know there'll be a green solution. Oh, God, that was my worst ever transition. <laughs> By far the worst one I've ever done. I thought it was good. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Thank you. The green solution has 18 locations in Colorado. It is the place in Colorado to get marijuana, edibles, concentrates, you name it. Download the app or go to mygreensolution.com and use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. It's quick and easy to use. 18 locations, express checkout, best prices for the best quality. It's a lot of it's 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 our place. So don't remember use the app mygreensolution.com uh, and DNVR20 for your promo code. All right, let's get back into this question here, Eric. I have one from Tunza or Tunza. Ooh. I think Tunza or Tunza. Looks I'm like I say Tunza. I think it's Tunza. Looks like it's probably a reference to Marvel or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> People are like you idiot, Adam. Are you kidding? Did you not know? Right. Uh, <laughs> what did I say? The the condors of the <laughs> Anglers of Condor. <laughs> it's probably some reference to the Anglers of Condor. Uh, looks like the Nuggets have really increased their offensive pace. Guards seem to be pushing over the timeline on every half break and out of bounds play. Any thoughts on why they've been doing this more lately and why they didn't to start the season? Well, first of all, I don't know if you're true. So this is one of those questions I prepared for ahead of time. And I remember I gave you some numbers to remember. I'm sure you've forgotten them. But uh, the Nuggets actually haven't. There are, there are sites that track how quickly the Nuggets take a shot following certain, you know, after a made shot, after a defensive rebound. And I went back and looked and, you know, this isn't horribly scientific, but I looked at the first half of the year. Then I looked at the second half of the year. So the first half of the year was 15.4, right? 15.4 seconds. On an average possession, I believe, or average after made shot. And what was it since January 1st? 15.7. So it's actually gotten slower. <laughs> <Take more time. laughs> um, so I don't, but I will say this. I do think that it needs to be a point of emphasis. And I think the player that if, if we were to put this on a specific player, it's Jamal Murray. Because he, I thought, especially early on in this season, he walked the ball up like he was James Harden. <laughs> and would sometimes waste like seven, eight seconds just getting the ball up the court and, 
I think, you know, to your point, I do think there has been a little bit more of a point of emphasis, but perhaps it's also just because Murray went out. I mean, if you're talking about a recent trend, he went out on the 15th of January. And one of the things he said is that when he was watching the game from the sideline, there's things he learned. And maybe that was one of them. Maybe he saw Monte, who I think is very good at this skill, you know, sort of sprinting up and the advantage it caused. And maybe that's an adjustment he's made. It would be, um, you know, that'd be an interesting sort of thing to kind of keep an eye on. I mean, but like, do they need to be faster? Like, yes. Aren't they... Oh, there's no question about it. I actually, I actually think, yes, they do. So, but what is their offensive rating this year? They're, I mean, they're really good offensively. Good, but they could be better. And I actually think that a Jokic-led offense always, like, to me, Jokic is Steph Curry. Like, if you had a number eight offense, why you shouldn't be like, well, we're good, man, we're top ten. Like, no, you, that's you, that's one of your advantages. But everybody, I think, can stand to push the ball well. I think Denver has a very good sort of end of game. It's going to be a playoff offense where they can slow it down in the half court and really execute. But I think Denver would benefit from trying to get into their sets quicker. And not just that, but make that first read quicker. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's something to that. Like, really, you know, as you always have said and you always point out to everybody, like, uh, the real heart of a successful offense is just making the defense confused and have to yes. switch. And, and so, you know, speeding that up obviously puts them in a in – a, difficult position just to start off with but you know i don't know i mean like i I find it hard to like really criticize what the nuggets are doing on offense so much it looks so different from what the nuggets have traditionally done here in denver which we usually just push the pace and run teams out of the building and um you know it just really hasn't looked like that but they're just more deliberate now um and it really just has everything to do with nicole Jokic. like they just give it to Jokic, and he just sort of like picks teams apart and it, it doesn't look like what we have come to really appreciate it looking like in the past years but i mean it's just it's just working man like they score i don't know yeah i I do think their offense can go to another level a lot of this has to do with just making shots but i do think even getting shots at the rim if they sped it up a little bit here's what i always say though you brought up another thing you know this is really the heart of it to me if you try to Jokic's advantage is that he is the fastest person in the nba mentally like Ooh. the quicker you didn't know where I was going there, did you? He's the fastest player in the NBA mentally. So the quicker a decision has to be made, the more of an advantage Jokic has over the people trying to guard him. So I do think speeding things up in the half court get yeah. it moves things more into his sort of like favor uh when you do that. Um Take a Hike wants to know which team would be better. Basically running it back, this is Murray, Barton, Michael Porter, Grant, Jokic, Monte, Gary, Craig, Millsap. And then either Bull, Vonley, or Mason. Or this team, Eric, Monte Morris, Bradley Beal, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic, PJ Composure. He actually oh. says PJ Composure. He needed to be on the show. <laughs> Gary Barton, Millsap, and Davis Berton. So, what he's basically saying is if you were to trade Jamal, um, Bull, Bull, that Houston pick, for Beal and Bertans, well, first of all, this is not a deal. Like the, I guess maybe it, maybe it is. Jamal for Beal, I guess maybe it is a deal. So if you tra- traded basically Jamal and Bol Bol and the Houston pick for Bradley Beal and Bertans, what team is better? Well, first off, um, I want to know if take a hike is an outdoorsman or a jerk. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> well he spelled it H-E-I-C-H-E, so there's a chance that it's his name uh, or her name, his or her name. Okay, okay. So probably um, not a jerk. Or maybe a jerk. I don't know. <laughs> but definitely not an outdoorsman. Okay, so... The... Well, he, did, he or she did say, keep up the great work, guys, and you just, like, made fun of the name. So 
that that was Eric Weedham, not officially a part of the of, of DNVR. So all hate mail to him. Yeah, please. Um, well, obviously, like I mean, the second team's better, right? <laughs> like with Bertel um, and Beal. But Bull Bull is a complete unknown commodity. He's not even on the team. Yeah, so you do get two good players. Yeah, I think you're right. The the other part of this is that I really like Monte Morris and I really like PJ Dozier. So the guys that you would replace Murray with are like competent. You know, maybe maybe Monte's too small in a certain series or whatever, but I like PJ Dozier and then you just get Bradley Beal. So the one thing I will say, man, he just threw that lineup out to me, Jamal Barton and PJ Grant Jokic. I just love it. Like <laughs> I really want to see it, man. Wait, so it's Jamal how Bart. long are those? How long are those boys? That are the long boys. Those are the long boys, Eric. That's Murray <laughs> Jokic and the long boys. What is, what is the aggregate length of these boys? Very, very long. <laughs> Extremely long. Extremely All right. Long. Well, that's hard to argue with then. Next right, year let's might go. be the year of the long boys. I hope it's this year. I just don't know if we're going to fully get like long boys um, playing a lot. But next year, I do. I think we're going to get a lot of long boys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like if Monte Morris is on the floor, that's automatically not the long boys. If you get if you get slide composure in there though that you know man get a little composure barton mpj grant Jokic, like just come on man oh I'm, I'm honest to god so with it so i would say probably the second one but um i both teams are really really good and i would be a little afraid about having a monte beal starting backcourt because i think it's one of those teams that would be great against about 28 teams and there's probably like two teams out there that it's like oh i just hope we have to avoid them because they have that giant guard that's gonna like luca monte's got to guard luca and it's like uh i don't know know. i don't know put pj in the starting lineup but i don't want to lose jamal jamal is um jamal is about to erupt like he's really on the like about like gonna take that leap that we've been waiting for him to take like he just looks more and more confident every game he really does he's really in his own right now Burley Joe asks, do you all think Vonley can fill the backup five spot next year? What does this fit alongside Grant or Millsap on the second unit? This is a good question. Oh, instead of taking the place of Plumley. Yeah, so instead of Plumley, um, yeah, what do you what do you think there? Do you feel like you've seen enough from Vonley to make any kind of uh... Yes, because I've watched him before. And I was a Vonley fan, by the way. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he's a backup center, but I'm, and he was a starter, like in, you know, there for a while in Portland. But I I like him as a backup. He was giving LeBron that work for uh, two trips down the court, and then LeBron gave him the work <laughs> so much yeah. more uh, later on. But I was, you know, I was impressed by the fact that he's like a big body. He's like a really big body. So, but I mean, how much does he make? Like, let's get into the nitty gritty here. Like, what does his salary look like versus uh, Plumlee's? Well, he's, they're both free agents, so I mean, and I and I think Vonley would be the type of player, and honestly, Plumley might be this guy too. I don't know that there's a market for centers next year, so that's what I'm saying. Like, who who do we have to pay more? To, well, Plumley, to... I think you would pay more. Um, Vonley, you'd probably pay less. But Vonley's also young, you know. Vonley, um, you know, maybe there's something there for him to like grow into a player. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Mason cause... more skilled, I think, probably smarter. Vonley, how old is he? Twenty four. He's only twenty four years old. Yeah, he's got like an old soul. He does have a bit of an old soul. He's only twenty four. Uh, absolute unit, of course. He's played. He's, <laughs> so, so he has played for, and I mean, played games for Charlotte, Portland, Chicago, the Knicks, Minnesota, and Denver. Maybe there's a little diamond I, in the rough there, you know. Uh, maybe that's not a great sign, is what that is. <laughs> like, no, you know what? You know what I'll say though. Sometimes that happens to players. I mean, first of all, he went to Charlotte. Like, 
Yeah, but then how do you slip through the the the, the grasp of then four other teams? Sometimes it happens, man. Chauncey, uh, <laughs> it happened to Chauncey. Happened four to Chauncey. teams. Do you look at the, look look at this pull up, Chauncey? Let pull him up. He went Denver, then. No. Uh, so he went from Boston to Denver oh yeah, to Boston Minnesota to, to Detroit, all by the time he was twenty six. Well, that's still one less than Vonley, so... That's five. No, it's five teams. Boston, <laughs> Toronto, Denver, Minnesota, Detroit. That's five teams. That's oh, a lot, I'm, man. It is a lot. All right, well, fine. Vonley's the number one. He's uh, We're going to call him Mr. Big Shot 2, and <laughs> he's going to be our backup center. Uh, it's a t- Honestly, it's a tough question. I do hope that... I mean, who knows what Bull Bull is. I, I think Bull Bull is, like, another year away. Um, do you think he plays center, Bull Bull? Like legitimate. Um, that's a great question too. No, because I because I I think players like Vonley would put him through a hoop. Like I just yeah like totally I, yeah like he would just murder. And Bede would just like back him down until there was no more. Bull I think Bull. best case scenario for Bull Bull is that he has a really great summer, really works on his body, and that next year he sort of like slowly works into a few minutes, but doesn't get a lot. And Denver gets him for like three, four years, and then somebody, after that, he's he's sort of blossomed. somebody asked that on the live show, like about what Bull Bull has to do to build his body up, and it's like, did you do you know of a player named Manute Bull? Like that's what his body is. Like that's yeah. <laughs> he's not he's not gonna he's not bulking up. Like he Kevin is Durant's so not tall. bulking up. Yeah, he's not. They're not ever gonna bulk up. Like that's what this guy looks like. This is what he is. This is who he is. So. I just want to see this man shoot. Like I want to see him uh, drag the four out or the five, I guess, uh, out beyond the arc and like just really make it rain and really open up the court for players that want to uh, slash and, and take advantage of that. But, dude, I don't know. I can't even think about Bull Bull. It's just like too uh, much. I think my answer would be Plumley, but I, there is something too. Like, he, he, here's the other part about Plumley: is Malone really loves him. <laughs> And I think yeah. that ideally Denver probably has a three big rotation. So maybe if Vonley was that guy, he w- just wouldn't be playing too many minutes. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't, honestly, the backup center position is gonna, going forward will probably be one of the least important positions. But. I think the, the playoffs are going to tell us a lot. Like Plumley was completely negated when it came to the playoffs. If if that happens again, I can't see him like really laying out any cash to keep him. Yeah, I think I think it will happen again. But I, maybe he doesn't play. I mean, Denver's just there's more players now. I mean, Grant's going to take a lot of those minutes. Um, Ch- Chill Ducey says, why do you think Jamal struggles with the entry pass? Is it just lack of natural talent when it comes to passing or feel for the game? He just isn't comfortable making his decision quick enough. Um, yeah, that's a good one. What do I think? Um, I don't know, dude. Like, it's, it is it is weird. I think that just is the fact that um, he wasn't a point guard in college. Like, he has the – he has a handle – um, but he's not a natural point guard. Like when they, we drafted him and they said that he could play a little point, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But he played the two all throughout college. So there's probably something to just having to like learn to not telegraph that pass, especially when it's obvious that it's going to go into Jokic every time. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this more than mine. I think it has a lot to do with that. J- Jamal, I've said this a lot. I think Jamal is weirdly fundamentally sound on certain things. Like he's a great screener, great cutter, um, you know, certain things like that. But he's really not fundamental in other things. And, some, and entry passing is one of them. Um, and sort of footwork and is another one of them. And I wonder if some of this has to do with he he's very lazy um with his entry passes too often like there's a lot of times where there was one in this last game where he kind of like rolled the ball at yoke and it got picked 
poked away by Thon. Actually, it wasn't even to Jokic. I think it was to it was to Plumlee, and it got poked away. And it was just one of those things where it's like you could have made a good pass, but you kind of rolled it to it. Like, you know, you kind of you got what a little you, lazy with it. For what, what is it about an entry pass that makes it different than another any other kind of pass? Oh, is it oh, just no, because it, it's it, expected? No, 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 no. It, it's actually it's a it's a skill. I would say it's a completely different thing. Yeah. I mean, it would be like no. I'm I'm asking though. Tell yeah. me about it. Um, you know, I so a couple things here. One, length obviously helps. But two, like, there's a lot about just like knowing the angles on the court. A lot of this is like, it's like, why is Jokic good at any at every pass? And a lot of it is just kind of knowing like, how do I position players so that they can't take away this pass or so that this pass is good? And some of that is getting to the right spot. But a lot of it is like, before I throw this entry pass, I have to make you think I'm doing something else and then go to the entry pass. And I think with Jamal, there's a lot of just like you know, not doing any, not, not caring to do any of that. That's kind of walking into a like deliberate telegraph. I mean, so a lot of his worst passes are like, you can see it coming. You're like, Oh God, he's going to throw, he's going to throw. Oh God, there it is. And and, and like, if you watch Jokic, I had this one on the last episode of the list, this example where he was trying to post up Michael Porter. And the point was actually about Michael Porter giving up post space. It was that clip that I put, but if you watch Jokic tries to throw the entry pass and the defense sags off. So he goes into a shooting motion, not because he was going to shoot, but just because he's like, him back, he's yeah. just like, yeah, this is how I'll get him back. And then he throws the entry pass. And it's just like, it, it's little things like that, that, that there's a million just little tricks to getting yeah. the ball inside. And, and I think Murray has him. It's just so often he just like gets tired of doing him. I guess. I don't know. Interesting. But it sounds like, like what I'm saying though, it's that the entry pass is sort of like an expected pass. And so you have to be more, um, clever about it. You know, you have to be more right. Like I think the, Oh, I think the best point guards and Monte Morris, because he's so small, he has to do everything right. Like the best point guards set up everything that they did. Nothing happens without like an initial, a setup before it. And I think that's a lot of it is just, Ooh, I'm going to drive middle. No, I'm not. I just wanted you to get to my left hip so I can throw it to the right, you know? Right, right, right. Interesting. A lot of that. So I don't know why he doesn't. I think with a lot of NBA players, entry passing is a very difficult thing to work on by yourself, and it's even harder, I think, to motivate a player to work on. So it's like, yeah, this isn't going to really do anything for you, but we need you to be good at it. So slow to slow to adapt. King and Duck, we got to go quicker through here because I got like five more questions. King and Duck, on the last pod, there was a question about Malone maybe needing an offensive guru, assistant, and I realized I have no idea what an assistant coach in the NBA does. Can you talk a little about their responsibilities and maybe a little about their day to day? This is a good one. Um, every coaching staff is different. It's just like, man, bless you. Thank uh, you. Coronavirus over there. Stay away. <laughs> the, the, um, every, coach, every, every coach is like a CEO. And every CEO has a different strategy. They have different lieutenants that have different jobs or whatever. And I think with Malone, I would say from what it appears to me, Malone is much more of a hands-on guy, which means his assistants a lot sort of carry out his – and I'm not saying they don't have opinions and they don't have their fingerprints all over these things, but I think Malone just emphasizes a lot of control. There's other assistants that will be a sort of offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator – there was a great article on Yahoo Sports the other day about Nick Nurse and how he makes his coaches all sort of rotate responsibilities throughout the year. So you might be the offensive coordinator in January, but in, def- in December you're a development coach. So everybody has their different their different styles um, and, and how they approach it. Um, but I will say that with Malone and I think with the Nuggets organization as a whole, the different fra- fragments, the front office, the coaching staff, whatever, they they're a very tight-knit group. So I think that they come up with a game plan and then like whatever people's jobs are, 
they're just executing the game plan that they collectively came up with. So the offensive coach, in this case David Adelman, maybe isn't telling Malone, let's go off script. It's more about how well are we following the script. That's the that's the sense, at least, that I gather from from their their operation. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see Malone conferring with different people on the bench at, at various times. Like, it seems like they're just in game, like there are different um, things that each assistant coach are paying attention to and, and informing Malone on, on trends and things that they're seeing. Um, so I don't, I don't, and I imagine they all, you know, like he just brings them in, they all talk about everything that they're seeing. Like the, these teams don't practice that often. So I don't even know what it means to be an offensive coordinator per se, like other than like what, no, what, do well, they do? what, what they, I think it is. So actually I'll answer you here. So there's, so I think some of the coaches, like they're all have them tracking different things and it's not just like who has what fouls. It's more about like, this set, is it working? How did they defend this one? So that later yeah, on, yeah, yeah. you run something in the first half, and you might go to your coach that you know was supposed to be keying in on this one thing, and it's like, hey, how? Like, he'll maybe come with a note like, hey, we ran this set twice in the first quarter, and they did this, so let's counter with the, you know. And it's like, you were focused on that, so you have that intel to provide to coach and, and run it up the flagpole. Um, so yeah, I think- but I mean, like, beyond, like, just watching what's happening and reporting back, like, where is sort of the offensive coordinator putting their stamp on the offense is that just happening in in the preseason leading up to the season because well, like first I said, of all, you like, say these not, guys don't not... you say they don't practice but they do they do do shoot around even though even though the team officially tells us they do not do shoot around they do every single game they just don't want media there and for some gotcha. reason the nba has allowed them to like lie <laughs> i think i think the workaround I, people don't know this i think the workaround and it's not just dnvr it's like all media is told like oh yeah nothing today and i think the way they get around is if they call it optional then they don't then they can tell media they that there's no availability, but it's like not really optional. Uh, it's like uh, optional wink. <laughs> so they are doing that. It's funny because they tweeted out a video of shoot around the other day after telling us there was no shoot around. It was actually really dumb. So Detroit had a practice in Denver. They played on Sunday, just like the nuggets. They had a practice in Denver and a shoot around in Denver and Denver had nothing. <laughs> they, they too were in town and had no media available. So Detroit, two media availabilities, Denver zero, a <laughs> uh, little peel, peer behind the curtain, but no, there are, there is a lot of input. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, coming up with the game plan and, and then just kind of keeping your eye on certain adjustments to make on that end of the court. And Malone's obviously doing all of that. His job is to, is much more looking at everything. And I think he relies on his assistants to be like, okay, this inbound play, this is the one I had earmarked for this moment. Um, Interesting. Poppy, I know it has been discussed that if you bench Gary, who enters the starting lineup? And the consensus has been Tory Craig. What? Has it? What consensus? Which doesn't Malone. make it to, oh, I guess Malone's consensus. Um, doesn't make a ton of sense. But would Monte be an option? I don't know if it's a great starting lineup, but I'd love that lineup to close games. And at the end of games, you can rotate defense, offense, Gary, Monte also. But I like the idea of all three, Barton, Jamal, Monte, being able to run the two-man game with Jokic, depending on the matchup. I like it too. Look, I'm a huge fan of Monte Murray minutes. I just think those two together, it's like having two point guards on the court is great. Rick Carlisle always runs three point guards. And there's yep. a reason. Point guards know how to handle the ball, and they're usually the smartest players. So when you have multiple ones on the court, you have something cooking. So I like it. What I don't like is what it does to the rotation behind it. Cause then what, who, who checks in for whom and like, who's running that second unit? Is it PJ composure? 
running no. the whole second unit. All this means is that we need to trade for Devin Harris again. Ooh, Devin Harris. <laughs> like a, a, a not really a point guard. Um, to me, if you were to bench Gary, to me, you insert Michael Porter into the lineup. I mean, I'm dying to see that lineup. And Oh, no doubt. Or Grant, right? I mean, he could play. <sighs> I don't. Man, it'd be interesting. I, I don't think so. The longest so. of the boys. He is the longest of the long boys. But um, well, but you're right. I mean, yes. Putting uh, Barton at two. Part yeah, Barton at two. Well, would you put Barton into the? Yeah, he'd be the two, and then Michael Porter's the three. I think that lineup would be great. Barton is like a point guard. I mean, Barton handles the ball really, really well in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't really matter. It's a moot point because Gary's back. So Gary's back. Eric Weiss asks you guys have talked about this before. What is Denver's best potential lineup for twenty twenty one? I like Ooh. this one. Best potential lineup. Uh, so <clears throat> let me guess what you're going to say. You already know. I'm going to say Nikola Jokic. Am I right? Hey, so far, so good. <laughs> okay. Um, then it's going to be Jamal Murray. Is that correct? Then that is, we have correct. Michael Porter Jr. Yep, so far, so good. Then we have Jeremy Grant. Also correct. And then we have uh, William B. Buckets Barton. Love it, man. I'm, I'm a big fan of that lineup. I think it is. I think that one is pretty close to to ideal. Um Michael Porter is going to be the biggest X factor because I think even next year there's going to be some lows. But by the end of if he played, you know, like 25 to 35 minutes next, I mean, and I'm not saying he'll play 35 minutes. I'm just saying he's always between that 25 to 35 mark. I think by April he's going to be really freaking good, assuming he's still playing, <laughs> so, <laughs> assuming he can handle that. But hey, listen, I, but I, I, I'm not. I'm I'm still very much in on Gary. Like I, I know Gary's having a down year, but I think it's just that. Um, I just I just don't believe that he is who he has shown us to be this year. Like I, I would agree with that statement, but at the same time, there's one thing he can't make up for, and that's his height. And and I really, really believe that you throw length around you. I mean, look at what Milwaukee is on pace to win seventy games and half of the reason they're so great is because their players are so stinking tall. Yeah. Like they're skilled and tall. And I, I just think with Denver Jokic is so great positionally as a defender that you give him that length and athleticism that can also shoot, and it's just going to be curtains. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Joey Two Stacks, off topic, but curious how you all think the Nuggets, especially Jokic, will defend the new-look Rockets. I see a lot of people saying Jokic will be played off the the floor. I'm not so worried. Um, they're gonna. The, the funny thing about them is they're gonna defend them like they. The only way you can, they're going to try to blitz, Harden in yep. pick and rolls. It's gonna work sometimes, but not most of the time. And they're gonna have to just keep guys in front of them, including Jokic. But you know what? I kind of think they will. Oh my God! The New Look Rockets scored 140 points tonight against Memphis. They're doing uh, it to everybody. It works. I'm, t- I'm sorry, it works. The question is going to be, can Denver and their Tory Craig and Gary Harris would be huge in this series. They would really need those guys. And I think those two against those two guys, Harden and Westbrook, are actually pretty good. And then you're just going to have to murder them on the other end. P.J. Tucker is so important to their team. Jokic is going to have to draw fouls. He's going to have to get to the foul line. And he's going to have to like make them not play the lineups that they need to play to beat Denver. So it'd be really tough. It'd be, it'd be a battle for the soul. Um, WP Nuggets asks, where exactly does the DNVR team hang out during halftime? The Perch. The right, Perch, baby. Right outside of Section 144. Um, we're always there, and it's always growing. So in the hallway, not not in the arena side. Like you have to walk through out, out to the concourse, but that's where we are, right outside 144. Last one, yeah. Sweet Baby Ray says, what's up, guys? Old Bay is indeed from Maryland. Oh, we were that's talking right. about the other day. And that's we right. do crabs over here. 
early this season there was first team chance regarding Gary Harris's defense. Do you think he's worthy of being named first team all defense this year? If not, then who? Well, uh, I mean, no, but he's yeah, good. Yeah. He's been really, really good. Like he's been fantastic. Like uh, that's why he has not lost his his uh, position in the starting lineup is because he has been bringing it on the defensive end pretty much every night. So he's not versatile enough defensively, I don't think, to get that. Like Drew Holiday is a guy that can guard just way more positions, way more sizes. Marcus Smart, same thing. Like Marcus Smart can guard. The post, P.J. Tucker, another guy that can basically guard one through five. And then Ben Simmons, my guy, is maybe one of the three or four best defenders in the league, and he guards wings and guards most of the time. So Gary Harris is really great, but when we start talking about first team, when we really hunker down and start talking about like who are the best defenders in the NBA, Gary Harris is, is pretty much as good as anyone at guarding ones and twos. But that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess his defense probably has dropped off a little bit. We haven't been talking about it at all. Like in, as far as that first team chant is concerned, I think it's because his offense has been so bad. I really yeah. think it's that because his defense, I mean, it wasn't long ago, you know, um, Damian Lillard was scoring 60 a night and he shut him down, you know, so Donovan beautiful. Mitchell came in, and shut him down. So he still has been phenomenal against that archetype of so of beautiful. Player. So uh, tomorrow night though, like it'll, or I guess Friday, is he going to guard? Who's he going to guard? Lou Williams, Kawhi, maybe a little bit. Paul, you know, like those are the yeah. ones that I'm not so sold on him being able to do. But we'll see. We'll see. He'll get. He'll bat. He'll match up against maybe Paul George. <laughs> I mean, that's maybe Patrick Beverly. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm just looking well, at first of all. Are those guys going to play? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> or Kawhi? I mean, he probably he might be the Kawhi guy, right? I mean, well, Jeremy Grant's the Kawhi guy. I think, I think that's what's funny about Friday night, and this is why it'll be fun at the watch party because the, these are the matchups, you know, the Lakers, the Rockets, the the Clippers. They're the ones that are so interesting because it's like, okay, I think you just play a lot of Gary, uh, Jeremy Grant at the three in that matchup. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Oh, man. I wonder. Yeah. Because then Paul George, is. I, I guess that's Barton's um, man. Oh, man. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be a fun one. We're going to be at the watch party for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. 830 Blake Street Tavern. Get there. Eat some nachos, a quesadilla burger, some wings. Drink some beer with us. We got free beer. We got tickets. By you guys, you know the tickets that are being given away are provided by Blake Street Tavern, and they are incredible tickets. Yeah, they're four rows up. They're basically courtside. They're like right behind the bench, high enough so that you can see over all the tall guys that are standing there, but close enough that you can sort of like hear them yelling at each other when the Nuggets are just completely smacking them. That game will be, by the way, against Oklahoma City. A good game. Very good game. Very good game. And it's close enough so that the players can hear you. Like Damian Lillard definitely heard me yelling that he sucked. Is that why he played so poorly that night? Yes, he did. Wow. (laughs) First team, Eric. You belong on first team. Everybody, thanks so much for tuning into this very long episode. And thanks for sending all of the uh, the questions. It's always great hearing what you guys have to say. Um, so we appreciate that. And we'll see everybody on Friday. Take care, everyone. Let's go. Ah, mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.